Welcome. Today's guest on the Kingdom Yoga podcast are Anna Forrest and Jose Calarco. So, generally I try and keep a low profile here, and I suppose I'm the host, but my purpose is to highlight the guests and ask the right questions and then get out of their way and let them talk. And it's not an easy proposition, and I'm not sure I'm always getting better at it. So thanks for bearing with me. And we're really fortunate we have great guests. As always, feel free to let us know what you think and give us a review on iTunes and donate if you fancy. They're always welcome and they really help keep us going. So Anna has been practicing and teaching yoga for over 40 years, studying with BKS Iyengar, a brief stint even with Batabi Joyce, and then she's formed and taught many for many years her own eponymously named Forest Yoga. Coming from a background of trauma, she's also always sought and always integrated general healing in her teaching. So it's always been a strong asana practice, but also strongly uh, focused on healing. Looking specifically to the Native American traditions, actually, with which uh, with whom she has spent extended periods. And she's learnt about using ceremony and medicine, which they talk a lot about, Anna and Jose, and incorporating that into the whole kind of journey of yoga that the individual goes through, not just a class. It's an incredible experience that they're giving. So more recently, in the last five years or so, she has uh, joined up with Jose Calaco, her partner, and he's a musician, a healer, and of Aboriginal descent. Australian. And so they now teach together and Jose puts together a, a real production, which functions, as I said, like a journey, a cleansing and a healing. Anna and Jose are incredibly sincere and passionate about what they do. Um, an incredible couple to interview, actually. They truly teach yoga and live yoga as an attitude to life. And to that end, they're committed and outspoken also to the yoga diet, which they're very particular on, and listen to the end to hear their particular views about the yoga diet. Um, well, let's get down to it. Welcome, Anna and Jose, to the Kingdom Yoga Podcast. Okay, so welcome, Anna and Jose, uh, to the Kingdom Yoga Podcast. Lovely to have you. Thank you, Adam. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Um, okay, so, I mean, I suppose it's start from the start so from for our audience that's predominantly ashtanga based could we just explain a little bit about about forest yoga for those that don't know anything about it hmm. forest yoga came about for me working on healing my injuries yeah and also in realizing where i wasn't getting nourished in yoga and the traditional forms of yoga of which mm. i also was in, involved in ashtanga and iyengar yoga and shivananda yoga I, I worked in each of these things and got something out of each of them it was also missing a really big piece which had to do with the connection to my spirit and i learned to do that spirit work in the native american medicine ways and mm. so i learned to bring together the medicine ways and what I started to call forest yoga. So there's the ceremonial aspect of it. There's also a brilliant, intelligent sequencing of how to work with the poses in the most healing way. So for example, let's say you wanted to do a handstand or a wheel pose. Yeah. You do the poses that warm up the, the joints and the muscles so that you can get to that pose successfully and also to warm you down properly 
So this helps heal injuries, but it also helps prevent injuries. Mm. We do a lot of core work, a lot of abdominal work, because mm. when you turn on the abdominals, then you have this innate core intelligence functioning and you are less inclined to move awkwardly or unconsciously in a way that you could get tweaked. You mm. just move more intelligently as well as getting your guts and your belly and your back strong and clean and clear. Then, and when eight years ago, when me and Jose got together, Jose brought in his shamanic music field as well as his knowing and wisdom from his practices as a healer, as a seer, and as a man that's worked with the Aboriginal people for many years. So I had been with the Aboriginal people for just under 30 years. And for Mm -hmm. those unfamiliar with the Aboriginal people of Australia, it's the world's oldest living culture dating back 60,000 years. So when we get together, we call that a corroboree, a spiritual gathering. And in my time in yoga, people were coming to us with very serious problems, uh, suicidal, financial, Mm -hmm. relationship. And I thought, you know, we've got these people for two hours, two and a half hours in our yoga class. We need to make this like a gathering, like a mass, Um, Mm. not being Christian or anything, but Mm. like a corroboree, as we call it, a spiritual gathering where we give them the medicine of a smoking ceremony, music, an intelligent yoga class, which has a proper beginning, midpoint and ending with intelligent sequencing. Mm. And we were also not just working on the physical aspect, we were working uh, with connection to spirit. And that was basically missing in a lot of traditional yoga we were doing. So we combined forces to come up with a beautiful uh, ceremonial yoga. That That's uh, what I could call it. Like Anna and mm. I are both not yoga. We're both spiritual teachers and we have been all our life and we wanted to put that imprint there, we had a great understanding of life. Just because mm. someone could do a handstand doesn't mean they understand anything about the spirit or life. No, yes. Or someone who has <laughs> strong practice may have yeah. nothing between his ears. But, uh, but yeah, in a nutshell, yeah. that's what yeah. Forrest Shoda yeah. has become today. And also, I'm, I'm, we're both, we both love intensity. And so the, the practice feeds that but because of the disparate kind of people that come in like we can have athletes coming in and we can have people recovering from surgery or from having a baby coming in Mm. or people that have been sexually abused and so inside they're devastated or just just Mm. all kinds of people people that i work a lot with war veterans so there's a lot of deep injuries or poisoning or whatever that's happened and so we Throughout the course of a class, we give up what I call up-leveling and down-leveling. So the more advanced people are the ones that are like wanting to hit the intensity edge. They do this variation. And those people that have a knee injury or need something gentler, they do this variation. And we put that out throughout the class so that there's there's choices to be made depending on what's happening each day. But it's it's a... You know, it gets the endorphins going. There's a sense of accomplishment. And when the practice is finished, because we finish off with 
Jose doing this beautiful medicine music that takes you into the dream time, something else happens. Something really mm. magical. There's an amazing uh, documentary, Adam, called 100 Foot Wave on HBO at the moment. Millions okay, and yeah. millions of views from all over the world. Now, these surfers, they're, they're surfers who surf a 100-foot wave in Portugal. Portugal. Yeah, yeah. So they, so they came to us before they made the documentary and several of them had broken backs or serious back injuries. So they came to Forest Yoga to recuperate. So uh, it, it's a fascinating documentary and uh uh, we not only did we use yoga poses, but we also used music healing, sound healing. Uh, sound healing has been around for sixty thousand years. The Aboriginal people play the didgeridoo. I think most viewers would know what a didgeridoo is. You got to say it's the, say its original name for people. You said it on another podcast because I, I never realized it's called. What is it called? It's a yiggy yiggy. Yeah, the yiggy yiggy. Yeah. But, it, but it has many, many names. Okay. Okay. Oh, it's so funny because everyone knows it. Did you do? Um, I suppose that Anna, can I first ask you then? I mean, it just sounds incredible, and I feel um, I feel a bit of short change with Ashtanga then. You know, listening to all that with a, a class with a, f- a firm beginning and a middle and an end, and and the music and oh, there's just so much to it. But I know Anna, you came from a background where you know you use yoga like you know to almost you know as a lifeline, right? Um, you know yes. to yeah, as, you know to to get you out of dark place and to, and and for healing. Was that was that the original tent, or were you good at it from the start, or was it? I mean, you know, it's a physical yoga you're teaching; it's quite dynamic. Um, yeah, I mean, would you just if we backtrack a little bit now, just to go through how you envisaged and how you came up in you know in your youth? Because you started when you were very young. I mean, sixteen, I think, or something like that, right? A little younger than that. I started right. in mm. 1973. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, and I went to my first yoga class because a girl in school said I have something you can't do. Yeah, I heard you say that. And so I took out my cigarettes and I tapped it down and like did my whole little routine, like kind of shocked because I'd never had a conversation with this girl before. It was just such an odd conversation. And I lit up my smoke and looked at her and I was like, oh, that's impossible. And so she brought me to a yoga class, which was very strange. And I was terrible. (laughs) <laughs> so I, I was I was riding horses and training horses at the time mm. for many mm. years. And I was very very stiff. I was also a preteen alcoholic. I was doing whatever drugs I could get. I smoked. I was not sleeping about three times a week. It's like I was not in a good place. Mm. And yoga did not appeal to me right away. It hurt. And I was like so shocked because there's all these old people in there, almost all women. They had to be at least 30 years old. And they could bend forward and touch their toes or reach back like in a bow pose and grab their ankles. I couldn't do any of that. I I know. I had the same experience. Yeah. (laughs) I could not reach below my knees. Right. So, no, I was not good at it. But somehow something caught me. And so Mm. even though I didn't build a friendship with this girl. I, I just, it mm. was a sacred intervention, just like she mm. it mm. and I took it up. And yet I kept going back to yoga and it helped me work my way through 
a lot of really difficult places, but I had to go elsewhere because the way that I was coming into yoga, I loved the, the way I felt at the end. Mm. And when I found a strong guy, I really liked that. And I made some good friends there. And we've, mm. we've always had good support from the Ashtanga community. Many, many of the Ashtanga people, when they find that the practice isn't working for them anymore, they come to forest yoga. Mm. And we teach them a different way of moving, a different way of breathing, and also how to sequence the poses so that they work better together. In other words, like, I don't advocate that you do wheel pose after doing a bunch of forward bends. Because it's actually moving in the wrong direction. You need to be doing lunges and other back bending and twisting poses to warm up for a deeper back bend. And then you need to do a proper warm down. And so this is part of the intelligence that we bring into the practice. How did you get there? How did you get to that intelligence? Because, I mean, I know that you had some time with Iyengar who called called you the expert or something like that. A nickname for you. You didn't get on with Mr. Yengar that well. Um, no. And you and also you spent time with Patavi Joyce, I think, briefly before um, yeah, you, you briefly. kind of pulled his hand away from, his wandering hands away from you. Um, yeah, that's true. You know, how, how, how did you, I mean, was there a lot of training and other types of yoga before you formulated your own version of yoga? And how did that come about? I did take, I, mm. I, I started out in the Shivananda system. Okay. Which really, which really doesn't have that that intelligence sequencing. Mm. Iyengar had a very good attention toward alignment. You're right. Mm. And the Ashtanga system had this beautiful, let's just keep moving kind of action going. And yet, there is that. What's missing is how these things work together. And one mm. of the things that I brought to to yoga has to do coming from my horse training times. Mm. Right. I was an apprentice to a horse trainer for hunters and jumpers. And you warm a horse up very thoroughly before you take it over jumps. There, you know, you warm it up with twisting and you and with you warm up and then you warm down. You don't just take a horse out of the stall, put a saddle on it, and then jump over a five-foot fence. That's crazy. And mm. then in yoga, that's frequently what's done, or in some classes. It's just like whatever pose pops into the teacher's head, they do it. It's like this. Is <laughs> this is well, I, I did hear that other podcast. You refer to kind of many asanas as stupid asanas, like that have no no sense to them. And and yeah, you know, and you also talk about intelligence a lot. Can you can you give like a more specific example of what you'd call you know say like in, even in the Ashtanga series? I don't mind. You know, we're like I'm completely open to uh, to this. You know, well, taking like asanas that have no intelligence to ones that, that do have intelligence. Well, I'll give an example of there's mm, a mm, mm. called Kandasana, which is yeah, yeah, feet up to navel, yeah, yeah, uh, no, yeah. The feet actually are more towards the chest and the yes, yes, solar plexus, yes, yes, yeah, really at yeah, an intense yeah. angle. And yeah, yeah, I remember working on this pose, thinking this feels really damaging, and I thought, well, maybe I just need to work past my beginner's awkwardness. And as I worked it over about a year and a half. My knees and ankles got worse and worse and worse. And I just thought, this pose, someone created it, but it doesn't mean it's a good pose. It's, I don't think it's a good pose. I will not teach it. Right. Or Mulubadasana. And, there's, you know, there's a number of, you know, kind of knee poses as you get into the advanced series of Ashtanga that start to feel a little bit dodgy for me. But, what I mean, what's an example of an asana? Based practice with intelligence, then apart from the warm up, warm down part of it, what other aspects go into a full forest yoga asana 
asana practice first before we move on beyond that. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, first I need to back up from the asanas and say we always okay. set intent. And the intent could be something very specific like pick an area in your body that needs healing. Right. Or it could be very specific about this is this class is about lower back because so many people have lower back issues and we do poses that open the back that strengthen the back we focus and coach how to breathe into the back and so that by the end of the session the back is different and mm. usually the pain has moved out or at least lessened so that's important is every class has this intent sometimes the intent is connecting to a warrior's heart or learning to embody your spirit so when you do a pose, it's not about whether or not you have your foot on your head in dancer mm. pose. It's about can you come into this pose and then literally spread your spirit throughout the pose? Do you do a pose in a way that moves your energy smoothly through it? Or is it like a static storm? That's, mm. you know, because you're breathing mm. and you're moving erratically and your nerves are starting to fire off in an unhealthy way. Therefore, mm setting you up for a tweak. That's called working stupidly. So yeah. Learning how to monitor and feel. This is a big deal. It's like teaching people how to feel and process that information in a way that makes sense. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah. When you start to feel some kind of pain in the pose, is that a stretching pain? Is that a pain where you're injuring yourself? What is that? Don't go numb to it. Don't quit. And don't try to barge through it, but find out what is that sensation? What is your body telling you? And what's the best way to work with it? Do you need to make the pose a little easier? Do you need to shift slightly to take the pressure off of something that's complaining? You respond to what mm. you're feeling. Mm. Mm. Okay, so it's so a whistle-stop tour. So on to the next question. Something that really attracts me in what you're doing, and maybe Jose might say a word about how you brought the ceremony and medicine further into to Anna's, uh, Anna's yoga practice, right? Um, what does this mean, like medicine and ceremony? I mean, you talk about it a lot. For someone who knows very little about Native American medicine, I wonder how you incorporate, uh, first of all, the medicine into the practice. Well, that's a very, very complex question. As I said earlier before, uh, when I went to yoga, I was seeing that people had serious problems, as I said, like uh, suicide and mm. uh, psychological neurosis, all different types of damage. So mm -hmm. being a singer, a piano player, guitarist, drummer, medicine person, and having 30 years with the Aboriginal people, when we come together in ceremony, we come together to connect with spirit, to get outside of the thinker. We come into a fertile space called the second attention. The first attention is just the trivial mind, which what am I going to have for lunch? What am I going to do today? Always yeah. judging, always mm. comparing. Mm. Uh, and to get the person to the second attention, I created a, a beginning to the class where we have a musical beginning like a meditation incorporating a smudging ceremony. Mm. 
Now, I must okay. add that mm-hmm. the ceremonies that Anna and I do, and I do are not Aboriginal and they're not Native American. They're our mm-hmm. own personal life experience. Are they Indigenous influence? Absolutely. Why wouldn't they be? I've been 30 years with the mm. Descendants Aboriginal Dance Company and Anna spent countless years on a reservation with a Native American uh, medicine person. And this is the one aspect that I could see in yoga that was missing, and that was a connection to spirit. Look, I loved hardcore yoga as well. I, I used to be a front row Bikram uh, practitioner, <laughs> sweating and leading right, classes, and I, I always, uh, I used to love the hardcore, yeah, yeah. but there came a time where there needed to be some intelligence because there was a lot of people in Bikram, Ashtanga, many other forms of yoga coming to us with shoulder injuries, knee injuries, ankle injuries, back injuries. And so, you know, people needed to slow down their practice a little bit instead of just diving in and diving mm. out of the practice. Yeah, so we go into the pose mm. and out of the pose safely. And the medicine part is what differentiates forest yoga from everything else. So I was also an artistic director and I saw that the yoga industry in general was amateur when it came to video presentation, audio, sound, yeah, everything. Yeah. Uh, it was very just whatever happens, you know, you're on here, you're on there. So just like a good movie script, uh, I made sure that the beginning, midpoint and ending all made sense and threading medicine like a good movie. Like when you watch a good movie, you want to walk out with a spring in your step. But at the beginning of the movie, you need to grab the person's attention. So, is, so when you, you say medicine, then are we talking about ceremony? Is that what medicine means? The use of ceremony in the practice. Sorry, absolutely. Yeah, medicine. Okay. right. Uh, music yeah. is medicine. Right. Okay. Okay. Smoking mm. ceremony, yeah. spoken word. Food, right. Yeah. 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 So, and Anna, Anna, were you doing ceremony before Jose? And how have you developed that as you've come together? Yeah. As, yeah. Yes. Uh, that was that was actually one of my personal journeys for years before we met was I was studying medicine and working in ceremonies and going to different people and also learning to do ceremony on my own. So it's not just going and working with the medicine person. It's making that personal connection with the sacred ones. So it's like, you know, you can go and take a class with somebody, but you've got to do your yoga practice on your own Mm. Mm. or Mm. on a regular basis. So I had these two separate lives. There was the yoga teacher and the medicine person. And it took me a long time to realize that the way I was running my life that way, I was splitting myself. And I did a lot of prayers, actually. I went to the sacred ones and said, how do I bring this together? I don't have Mm. enough time to do both. And so that's when I started to ponder and meditate on and to bring ceremony into the yoga experience. And so that started with setting intent and started mm. with doing the smoke ceremony. Now the smoke ceremony is lighting sage or cedar or sweet grass or incense and cleaning the room of any negative energy. But I also would bring in fanning 
individual people, and I had the time to do that, of just smoothing the electromagnetic field of each person and sort of getting the ratifracts out of mm. the field. Mm. So that's what we do now is Jose plays music that's his own creation mm. and yeah. smoke and brush the individual people just to help it set up. It's like sometimes you, sometimes you do a bit of drumming as well, apparently. You sometimes, Anna, you drum badly as well, apparently. Drum out, out of time. I do uh, drum I badly. I, I, yeah. I let Jose yeah. read the music part and I, I follow yeah. it. Yeah. Like, you- I, learned how, I started learning how to drum because I was having trouble with my heart. And I thought drumming, I had- my heart learned how to beat because it beats very strangely. But instead, I just drum very strangely. <laughs> Drum out of beats. So you're drumming to your heartbeat, but it's just out yes, of time. It's true. Kind of, well, you know, that, that's that, they may be something for life, you know, kind of a general kind of you know, principle. Yeah. Drum to your heartbeat, even if it's out of time. Um, what, what well, about, we generally uh, just needed a uh, professional musician and audio and uh, artistic director. Uh, so basically, uh, I, need, I play ambient classical piano, I play guitar and, and sing. I do drum chants, I do clapstick, music stick chants, uh, and then the prayers. So there is a sequencing of ceremony as well, which people aren't aware of. You begin with the smoking and gentle ambient music to set the person up. And then from there, we go into acknowledgement to country. And then from acknowledgement to country, we prayer, set the intent, and we're away. And then we have a midpoint in the sun salutations where the chant and music comes back. And then the prayer, which we begun the class, ends the class like a Hollywood movie with a music theme that, you know, threads all the way through the class. The class ends where it began. And it's very intentional, the, the ceremonial aspect. So bringing in the professionalism to, to forest yoga, professional music, professional ceremonies, and also the way we record and do our online product. The way other people were, were doing it, I just thought, no, there, there's no way forest yoga is going down those roads. You know, people in a kitchen uh, with really bad audio try, <laughs> trying to teach. So all our product, all our online product is directed very, very Carefully and, and yeah, profoundly. Yeah. Mm. So I want to I bring in a different aspect here, which I think is pretty amusing, is right before Jose and I met, I was breaking into new territory with my teaching. And yeah. this was happening usually with my private clients, which was I was learning to use bromery in very mystical ways of helping break up the congestion in certain parts or the sickness and mm. Mm. With with the student doing Brahmari in a directed way, me directing them. And then with me, the, then this was the next progression was me doing Brahmari with them and sending the buzz into the area. And then when I felt particularly brave, because this was so deeply personal, I would sing my medicine song into the area that was a problem on that person. Mm. You know, if they had heartbreak, it would be into their heart or if they had a, a tumor or whatever was going on for them. And then when Jose and I were in our courtship and we were kind of revealing these little heart secrets, and I said, I told him about what I was working on because it was like 
brand new territory for me. And it was so, so private. And mm-hmm. he looked at me kind of funny and he said, my people have been singing into the bones for 60,000 years. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God, we need to talk. <laughs> you see, I mean, are people are always going to say, oh, you don't use any Indian stuff. You don't use any pujas or the Indian. Is, it, is that just because you were both, you know, obviously, Jose comes from an indigenous background and, and you spent time on the reservation. Or is there any particular reason that you feel it's more appropriate to use this? It's, you know, it's more practically. Uh, you know. Can you say anything about that? It just didn't appeal to me. Right, just simply that. I don't teach what doesn't ma- impact me. Mm-hmm. So it, for whatever reason, you know, it's like I sat through many ceremonies and pujas and this and that in India. Mm-hmm. And it was, it's, it's like none of them said, you need, you know, none of the, the ceremonies in that didn't say, come work with me. I dreamed on it with the native people. There's such a deep connection, and it's like this is my pathway. That is not. That's all. Yeah, we, we both have a strong indigenous background, so obviously we're going to. That's going to influence our yoga presentation. But having yeah. said that, I am an honorary citizen of India. Oh, yeah. Given right. that honor in Sydney in 1997. Right. Uh, I used to work with the Indian community, Odissi dancing, classical dancing, singing, all that. And I was a producer and promoter for the government of India. And the 50th anniversary from the liberation of England, I put on concerts, shows and helped the Indian community. And uh, in when we first started in Forest Yoga, instead of trying to do the Indian stuff ourselves, I bought... Real Indians into the room, uh, classical Odissi dancing, traditional Indian singing. Uh, so I brought the real stuff into the room, and after that, I, I you know it just didn't feel right for Anna and I to even attempt to do their stuff. You know, it, it didn't feel right. So uh, we do what we know. Yeah. Uh, so we, we don't do the oms and, and, and the shanties and, and all that stuff. Yes, that is missing from forest yoga. But having said that, I do love uh, India's culture. Uh, our, you know, our favourite philosopher is J.R. Krishnamurti. Okay, Krishnamurti. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love Krishnamurti. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We do love the Indian stuff, but we I find it quite refreshing, actually. Yeah. And it's, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah, we don't attempt to do that that stuff ourselves. It it doesn't call to us. So yeah. there's not really a judgment on it other than mm. it doesn't call to us, therefore mm-hmm. it does call to yeah. us. Yeah, 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 yeah. Would it <sighs> and yoga, you know, the roots of forest yoga come from India, which as best as people know, comes, you know, that's that's the roots of it. I mean, there's also there's also there's Many people that have said that there's roots of it in Egypt and there's there's old carvings from Mexico and like yoga has some very mm. mysterious roots, but it comes as best as we know right now from Mother India. So there's reverence for that, but mm. it's also grown way past that. We are also part of uh, giving back to India as well. So there's a program called Giving Back to India, and Anna and yeah. I offer our services acknowledging India as the home of yoga. So we do charity work for India as well. And I think, yeah. Yeah. We were invited to one of the Indian conferences and festivals in the 
in Rishikesh at Parnoth. And so we, we taught there too, which was really wild because we got to teach right by the Ganga River to close to a thousand people. It was, it was amazing to bring our songs and ceremonies. Yeah, yeah. It seems like very early on, though, Anna, that you did, you felt that asana, that just the practice of asana wasn't enough for the healing, right? And, um, you know, you were on another podcast, and I think Jay is speaking about going to, to LA for a number of years to work therapeutically with a, 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 a psychologist or something there, you know. A, you know to- well, I worked with, I worked with a, a number of different people, but two that were really major for me was Rosalind Bruyere, who is a hands-on healer. Right. And- Morris Netherton. Morris, that was the guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Morris. Yeah. Well, Morris gave me the tools to save my life. Mm-hmm. That was very important. So he, through regression therapy, he helped me get to the things that were hidden in me and that were poisoning me, kind of like harboring bullets of life experiences that were poisoning me and helped me extricate them. And so I also... And can you bring that into the yoga? I suppose that's my question. So a lot of people would assume, I, I practice asana, it's enough. The asana will heal me, you know, especially in Ashtanga, right? Like, you know, just practice, right? And, and that wasn't the case for you. You were proficient at asana, you were teaching asana, I think, and then latterly went off, you know, and did more and more therapy work. Can you bring that into your asana practice or does it have to be separate? And does does one inherently need to do other stuff other than asana? Yes and yes and Yes. So, yes, you can bring it into your practice. Yes, you need to do the work separately. And mm. yes, there's more to you than th- what happens in in my Ashtanga friends, for example. Mm. They focus on doing the pose, the trick, and there's more to it than that. You can mm. You can do so much good medicine work in the pose. But you have to bring your mindfulness to it, not just like, okay, I just need to get through my series, you know, so I can get on with my day. It's like, no, you need to bring your intelligence, your spirit, everything you got to this practice and use it in a way that's healing. And I know Patabi Joyce used to say, you know, I'll just practice and all is coming. It's like, well, if you're practicing in a way that's injuring you, what's coming is more injury. So don't be stupid. You have to change your practice if something is is hurting you. And then how do you do it? One, you can go to someone who knows something else. Two, you start exploring how do you use these poses in a healing way, not in a way that's shredding your hamstrings or your SI joint. You know, so you, you need to work with these poses and individually customize them for whatever you've got going on. I must say, Adam, that another important thing besides the ceremony, music, and uh, cultural aspects that I brought to forest yoga, one of the most important things that I brought to forest yoga was veganism. Mm -hmm. So before I came to forest yoga, forest yoga was still a meat-eating yoga system yeah because i was yeah so oh really oh, i didn't know that right okay okay oh, that was another that was another big question i wanted to ask you i know it is i know i've heard you talk about that as well right okay excellent so I and you, so. you, are, you are very particular about that and also you share a, a, a preference that me and my wife have done for many years which is the no onion no garlic which is oh. often very strange to hear some other people talking about it but you know we've I, i've been very adamant about that uh personally no, of course 
Yeah, yeah we're, 20, we're 20, 20 years now. 20, yeah, 20 years. So um, can you explain why why you're so specific about that? I mean, the, obviously, we, you know, people know about the himsa, the meat-eating stuff, but it's still most, I'd say most yoga students don't, uh, don't uh, follow the onions-garlic uh, rules. That's true. <laughs> mm. oh, 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 my God. When, when we go into a yoga room, Adam, it is, and we've been teaching in person again in the USA, it's absolutely putrid. People are smelling of yoga and garlic. I'm sorry, of onions and garlic (laughs) at the yoga room every single class. They absolutely stink and they have they have no idea that they smell. And everywhere Anna and I go, we jump on an airplane, it stinks of onion and garlic. We go to a theater, onion and garlic, (laughs) yoga. You name wherever you go, your friends and family stink of onions and garlic. Apart from the smell, why why um why not to eat it? Well, first of all, it's very damaging. Garlic should only be used as an antibiotic. Mm, mm. It uh, kills brain cells. It, uh, it, it, it damages digestion. And just the putrid smell of how you stink afterwards should be a warning <laughs> not to have it. Now, here's the thing. I've yeah. traveled to over 70 countries around the world with indigenous and yoga teachings. And I can tell you that every single temple in the whole world, whether it's India, Vietnam, mm, Korea, mm. wherever, do not have onions or garlic. So anyone who has any real spiritual sense of connection know that onion and garlic is offensive to the connection to spirit. And uh, there's a ton of stuff on it. Krishna Macharya said that food is the first yoga, not the second yoga. The first mm, yoga. Mm, now there, mm. there you are. That's that's the grandfather of modern yoga. It must and be hard traveling around, though. I mean, you know, you must. It must cause you a lot of trouble to, uh, right? In eating out and eating, you know, eating on the go. You're traveling to all these countries. How, how do you well, manage that? Well, you, you have to train people. Like I mean, Anna and I. I'm a vegan chef, so Anna gets to eat the most exquisite food every <laughs> single day because I cook every day of the week. I love cooking as much as I love composing uh, music on the okay. piano. And what, and what are your other principles apart from the injunction for no onions, no garlic? What what do you, what are the other principles around your cooking? Well, I'm going to start with a simple one, which sure. is yeah. one of the reasons why I was telling people no onions and garlic is mm-hmm. garlic also interferes with your hand-eye coordination. So you get uh, a little mm-hmm. bit stupider and you get dis- disconnected. Mm-hmm. Onion irritates the stomach lining. But there's also this other factor, like I teach people how to breathe and how to bring in that sacredness of breath. And if the air around you is laden with this disgusting putrid dog shit kind of smell that exudes off of people who eat onion and garlic you can't breathe you know i would go into put my hands in a in an adjusting way in a helpful healing way on people and their smell is so bad i can't breathe it's just like this is no good this has got to stop you were eating it before when you were eating meat. You were, you were you were eating onions and garlic. Is this a more recent thing, or has this been? No, no, I just... wasn't eating onions and garlic. Okay, okay. I haven't been eating onions and garlic for decades because okay. of, it's like what I and I started teaching this too. It's like if you come to my class, it's going to be hot and sweaty in here, and mm. you need to not stink because I can't breathe if you eat this food. I can't breathe, and neither can anyone else. 
Hmm. So you've got to stop it. So I, I've been teaching this for a while. So that it had a lot to do with the... How, how do people react to this? Because it is badly. a unique... Yeah, I bet they do. It's a unique message. And I kind of wanted you to speak on it again. But I thought, yeah, when I heard you speak on it in another podcast, I thought, well, you know, that's, you know, it's not common, you know, it's not commonly out there to have well, this. Well, it is in Ayurvedic medicine. It's right. absolutely yes, common. But not in, the yoga, not in the yoga world. No, no, the yoga no. world is still uh, relatively uh, asleep on that very important aspect. But anyone who goes deeply into the journey and sees the temples in Rishikesh and all over Asia, uh, there is no onions and garlic. And all spiritual teachers who reach a certain level of uh, maturity know about the garlic and onion rule, but I went one step further. I made forest yoga a vegan-friendly system to have a himsa, non-violence, even on the dinner plate. To have that mean, does that mean that you're saying to the people coming to the class, you know, don't come if you're, you know, you need to eat this way in order to come and participate? Or uh, how, oh, how, not at all. How, no, no. Right. No, no, we, it's not a rule. Uh, like, I mean, uh, whenever we, we teach a teacher training, say if there's 50 people in the room, uh, yeah. there might be four, only four or five vegans, which was surprising for me. I, I thought, wow, the yoga community must be, you know, pretty awake. And Anna and I mm. had been on the road for eight years touring around the world. And what surprised me was that uh, meat eating is still very popular amongst Yogis, even though Krishna Macharya, uh, the pr principal teaching was that food is the first yoga, not anatomy, not anything else. Yeah, food is the I first that's, yoga. That's fantastic. You said that. I um, yeah. Um, I suppose the question on from that, and the fact that you, you know you you say very rightly so that you're healers and you give a lot of information, a lot of instruction. But Anna, you clearly had a, a rebellious streak with your own teachers, right? I mean, I wonder how you both look at the role of t uh, as you as teachers now in terms of, and also in light of the rather domineering and perhaps, uh, you know, the disappointment of the gurus, etc. Um, you know, and how you now see yourself as teachers um, in relation to giving students their own autonomy to work it out, right? Well, we give people information. So I want to say, like, when we mm. go to workshops or conferences or whatever, mm. and we're only going to be with somebody for three days, we can make a mm. suggestion. You know, like we mm. suggest you stay clear of garlic and onion, and we suggest you don't mm. do any drugs while you're working with us because it's just going to be fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 People don't think about it. It's like, oh, my glass yeah. or seven glasses of wine or beer or whatever, or my Coke. Oh. Or, it's like, You'll do better without that. <laughs> yeah. Connection, not to your chemicals, yeah. but to yeah. your, yeah. your yeah. nervous system and your endorphin system and everything else. Mm -hmm. but in teacher training, we say be you'll be drug free and and be vegan for this time when you have us to ask questions about how to mm. work with a, a nutritional strategy that is an optimal health program. Mm. So do that while you're with us. And one of the things that I really love and we get to do occasionally is when we have like a residential retreat or training where the, the food is set up already for people. Because a lot of people don't know how to have tasty, wonderful, nutritious food. They haven't a clue. 
They do their onion, garlic, salt, pepper, and there's their spices. And like yeah, it's, say, it's a kind of routine, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. uses a whole array of beautiful spices like curries and cumin and turmeric and ginger. And there's ways of making your food really good medicine with spices too, but also absolutely a wonderful explosion of flavors on your tongue. And people think like, oh, you know, vegan diet is deprivation. No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> I've never eaten so well in my life. Yeah, I, I taught Anna that because uh, when we, you, you could imagine like uh, how strong-headed Anna is, and uh, I'm the same as well because I've been yeah. a vegan teacher for just on 30 years, and there's three reasons to be a vegan. The first is compassion. The second is to save the environment. And the third is to save yourself, your health. And trying to explain this to Anna Forrest when we first got <laughs> together, there was a bit of a head clash, but it didn't take her long right. to pick up, especially the first one, Compassion, when I showed her films of abattoirs of the debauchery and holocaust of animals and also to, to take in this suffering. Everything mm. has vibration and to take in this mm. suffering of animals leads or adds to your own suffering. Now, this yeah, is nothing yeah. new because all the, even the Native American shamans, the Aboriginal shamans tell us when we violate animals uh, and uh, we don't do the proper spiritual prayers and preparation for it, eventually the animals will eating animals will give you the cancers. And that's the reason that meat eaters have 30 to 40% more chances of getting cancer than, than a vegan. So we are eating violated animals day in, day out. And what is a violated animal? It's a factory farmed animal, mm. which goes through a process of literally torture. And you're taking that tortured cooked flesh into your body and therefore, you're adding to your own suffering. And when Anna first became a vegan, six months after the suffering, she could see this cold. Uh, six months after being a vegan, she could see the suffering of the animals mm. out in like a like a black coal dust, which the shamans tell us when suffering leaves the body, uh, psychically they see a black coal dust. Uh, leaving the aura. And it mm. also gave me a chance mm. to stand at that crossroads of is the next choice I'm about to make, not even necessarily about food, is mm. it going to increase my suffering or decrease it? You know, like uh, this, they gave me a point of leverage to recognize something I couldn't see before, which was when my actions would continue me down that path of suffering. I've had a lot of pain and suffering in my life. Mm. Yoga and and medicine process has been about alleviating that and mm. different realms, and so being able to see like okay, I'm I'm at a crossroads right now, and I can choose differently. Right, right. Mm. That was mm. powerful. Now, I want mm. to go back mm. to something you're asking about as teachers. It's like we are. Yeah, I, yeah. I wanted to qualify that and try again as well. And um, the, the fact that your your practice seems very much about empowering 
empowering students to, you know, and, and you yourself have very much empowered yourself rather than following another teacher. Many of us followed Batabi Joyce. Many people followed BKC Yengar, right? But you've always carved your own way. And I'm assuming that your teaching is also about kind of empowering students rather than getting them to follow you. Right? Yeah. yeah. Following the light of another person can sometimes lead to darkness, especially if there is dependence. Anna and I are independent teachers. We follow nobody except ourselves, and we just give the student the tools to be their own master, their own leader, without blindly following someone. And, you know, I'm going to kiss the master's feet and all this nonsense. Uh, We want you to be the guru. We want you to be the master. But we realise that that's going to take a little bit of time. And we yeah. want people to work with us. We do. But what mm. we are teaching people is how to connect to their own spirit, how to mm. connect to their own innate intelligence. Mm. We do ceremonies to help people discover and connect to what's their purpose in being alive. But that, mm. but then, you know, they want, they need and want to keep coming back, but then they go out on their own life adventure. And then they yeah. come back and they get another another hit of working with us and with ceremony and then they go out, you know, it's like, mm. it's a, it's a, an ebb and flow, but we also have learned for me when I am working with these other teachers, when I was in that mode, it's like, there were things that were worthwhile that I took. It's like sun exercises. I love sun exercises. I took that from this, from the Shivananda system. I'm not going to throw away the things that are worthwhile. There's many wonderful things in the yoga pool, you know, like the eight steps of yoga and all these things that are really good medicine. They're really good things to work with. And some of them are not. When people who are teaching yoga, they have an internal twisting and perversion. I don't want their perversion. I'm not going to pick it up. (laughs) Fair enough. I'm not going to be one to it So there's. How do you, how do you, I mean, I suppose people, you know, thinking of the critiques, thinking, what about the devotional aspect? How do you bring that devotion to a teacher into your into into forest yoga, or devotion to a practice? How does that come in? Yeah. Well, we have the ceremonial aspect where we right. smoke, we acknowledge yeah. the ancestors, we acknowledge right. the Native American people, the land we teach on, or the. Yeah. Uh, we also pray. That there's a, right. everything starts with a prayer and right. an intent. So there is a big acknowledgement, but we're not acknowledging any uh, like uh, Batavi choice or anyone like that. No. We are acknowledging the great spirit, just as our indigenous teachings tell us that we always acknowledge and show appreciation and gratitude to the great spirit who vibrates in all of us. So we make sure that we work the body, we express the emotions, we still the mind, and we nurture the spirit Mm, in mm. the four-way thing. So when people leave, you know, we want people to keep, you know, doing a really good physical practice. Uh, We want also to connect people. Uh, Another part that I brought into Forest Yoga was connecting people to the arts. So this is a yoga to do off stage, whether it's singing, drumming, writing, uh, playing an instrument, uh, painting, uh, acting, whatever it may be, we we encourage people to connect to the arts. 
Uh, and that is to nurture the spirit because the physical practice is not enough. So you need mm. the physical practice, but you also need the diet. The, the mm. diet is of utmost importance. People are killing themselves with their diet and with their alcohol and drugs and everything. And, of course, to still the mind is very important as well. And while we have our little iPhones with social media pornography and all this <laughs> other stuff, what we're doing is we're just feeding mm. the neurosis big time. So, uh, yeah, that's what Anna and I are about. So I want to, I'm, I'm still on the same thing is that yeah, yeah. when people work with us, we want to inspire them. We want to mm. turn mm. on, but also yeah. to give them the tools to turn themselves on. But it's it's like people need to gather. It's a it's an innate human thing, and we want people to come and gather with us, and then we want them to go out there and ignite the people that are in their personal circle. Mm. When we train people in teacher training. I ask each and every person at the end of the course to make a pledge to do their part in mending the rainbow hoop of the people, because this is our spirit pledge in the world, but we can't do it alone. We need other people to teach these, the forest yoga to teach this good medicine because all of our, our trainees can reach much farther than me and Jose. Mm. And so we're asking people is like, here's this good medicine. This is our life work. We're giving to yeah. you. Yeah. Take it out to your circle. Take it out to your community, please. So we want people working with us in that way, but we need them to have their intelligence turned on. We don't want people to be mindless slaves. We want them think, to be free human beings. Conscious of time, Anna, I think I've heard you speak of your adjustments before, and I think you said some really good things about physical handles, adjustments, how important they are still, even though people are you know, increasingly worried about giving hands on adjustments these days. Do you want to say something about your philosophy of adjustments and how you, how you adjust well, a student? Well, Not crank them into something? No. <laughs> this is part of also learning how to work the yeah. on your own yeah. as well as working it as a teacher doing hands-on adjustments. You're feeling yeah. for yeah. creating a sense of freedom in there. And I like the idea of congestion was a good, was a good word. Yeah. Like yeah. When, when something's hurting, it's usually, it's usually there's Yes. Yeah. And Matty Rassi used to say that to me. Right. congested area yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. so learning to adjust someone with their breathing like when i go to lift someone it's either i say now inhale or exhale and we teach how to move people with our hands as well mm. as learning how to run energy through our hands both of us are healers and we train our forest yoga people how to use their hands in a healing way and it's like we also train people it's like look sex is a wonderful thing don't fuck your students. Keep your <laughs> yeah. hands off of their crotch, off of their breasts, off of their ass. Just, just keep it separate. Mm -hmm. So that your adjustments are good medicine. They're mm -hmm. not like foreplay for later tonight. Don't do that. Don't do yeah. that. Yeah. So have and when we put our hands on someone, they know our hands are are on them in a helpful way, and we're also yeah. feeling very deeply. Like, what's going to be helpful here? And we're feeling as we move someone, is this creating an opening or is there a resistance or the person is, is tightening in fear? It's like if they're tightening in fear, you stop. You stop and you wait. You don't 
flip your hands off and like go off in a huff, like, oh, you're you're resisting the adjustment. It's like <laughs> childish. Yeah. How, do you, how, how do you teach your teachers to, to do that? You know, first of all, how do you teach your teachers to have pure intention? How do you inspire that? And also, well, how do you te- teach them to do to, to, Right, you talk about, talk about it. About yeah. it. We, right. we mm. get them practicing it. We supervise mm. them. Or we say, like, something, a lot of times it's really simple. It's like, hey, you're not breathing as you're adjusting this person. Therefore, you can't feel them. You can't feel what you're doing. Right. So, you know, we teach people to align their breathing with the person they're adjusting. Yeah. We teach them how to listen to their hands. We teach them how to make adjustments that matter. Like, you don't just go down the row and adjust everybody the same adjustment. They don't all need the same thing. Yeah. So, you yeah. have to look yeah. and, mm-hmm. and see, uh, you know, as, as people progress, we teach them how to see energy, see where the energy is congesting, see when it starts to free up and flow. And to see that way or to feel with the hands, we teach them that. That's yeah. part of our training. And we do have some classes with music healing as part of our advanced training and foundation trainings where we show how music healing works and how we run the vibration of the music into the injury. So that mm. documentary I told you about, the 100-foot yeah. wave, yeah. we were yeah. doing a, an Aboriginal technique of running the vibration of the didgeridoo into the injury. And people say, how does that work? Well, it's working at a metaphysical level because the aura is the first level of protection. And with music healing, which has been going on for 60,000 years with my people, and it used to just be part of regular healing, uh, the, the structure of the electromagnetic field is corrected when someone is listening to music. So there's been many experiments of this, you know, people with cancer sitting in a dark room, listening to a classical piano, you get them relaxed, you get them at that second Mm -hmm. attention level, and then all of a sudden the cancer gets better. Or people call this a placebo effect, but there is something going on at a subatomic level level and the aboriginal people native indian people have known this for years to to play the flute or the didgeridoo at the person into the injury and it was used in ancient greek ancient rome yeah. Aristotle, in all, yeah like absolutely Agri. yeah uh, but and now it's it's coming back in yoga with sound baths and mm-hmm. uh, yeah like yeah. this and also touch is the first language of the body yeah and so like with all this phobia about don't touch each other stay away from each other it, it's creating a a disconnect in a a, a yeah in the spirit and, so and that's what i want yeah so what did you hear to say that because i i mean i did a podcast recently with bessel van der kolk that when you heard of him so the body keeps the score that book and he said you know like it's it's imperative that you, you keep touching you know traumatized people that have had abuse need to be touched in a healing way you don't you know if you don't use touch in that body that's the worst thing you can do i'm never you know to you know you don't take that away from them you know and so i, I thought that was a good message that you were, you were giving there with the touch yeah 
Yeah, we totally agree with him. People, 100%. People, yeah, people are becoming increasingly sceptical. And there's trauma in the class now. It's very much, a, you know, a buzzword as well, like, you know, kind of like trauma-conscious yoga. So we, we better not touch anyone lest we traumatize them further, you know. But actually, I mean, what Bessel was saying, you know, there's a sine qua non of trauma work over these years. You actually need to, you know, obviously, be, you know, one has well, to be it, skillful, it but you need to, you know, you need if to. If you don't cut. learn a new way, then you're mm. stuck with the old way. Exactly. Exactly. With yeah. yoga, it can move a lot of that out of the cell tissue. Mm. And with a good healing intent person with their hands on someone helping, then that person that's had hurt can also learn touch in a healing way and it begins to heal. Yeah. It's yeah, horrible exactly. way of being touched. Yeah. It, yeah. It's like it's it's yeah. we we need that. We are that's another one of these innate things is like yeah. Before Fantastic. the world went crazy, it's yeah. like a mother and father would be touching a child all the time. And that's the way that it comforts and nourishes that child. When babies are not touched, they sicken. Mm. And that's mm. true for all of us. It's like mm. touch is healing. Now, of course, there are people that use touch in a horrible way. And they are twisted. They are, <laughs> you know, that, that's that's what you want to make sure you never do. And so when... Yeah. A yoga teacher goes to touch her or his student. They need to just check out like, oh, you know, if I'm really sexually attracted to this person, you need to clear that out of your field before you put your hands on them and be the teacher with them Mm -hmm. and have your relationships, your sexual relationships elsewhere because it makes messes in the yoga room. And then when we have our partners, our husbands, our wives, our girlfriends, our boyfriends in the room with us, then you also still need to clear that out when you touch them. You're just there doing this beautiful energy assistance instead of, you know, some other yeah, thing. Like, yeah, a mixed, a mixed message. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so it's not I, like we can't have our partners in yeah. our Google room. We absolutely can. But when you do these adjustments, just clear that other stuff out of the way. So yeah. That the adjustment can be about helping the energy move in a, in a beautiful yeah. way. Yeah. Okay. That's that's really important what you said. Thank you. Um, right, we've done an hour. Um, I always end up with this silly little bit where I say, um, you know, give me one inspiration. Well, this is not silly. And one guilty pleasure. Um, you know, just one silly pleasure that you have just to round out the interview, you know. So one inspiration from you both. Something inspires you. could be a book, a place, a person, whatever it is that comes to your mind. And something just, that don't say chocolate, but something, you know, or you could say chocolate. <laughs> something that uh, say, gift, what, are you asking us what naughty pleasure Anna and I still have? Yes. Okay. Coffee. Coffee. Okay. We right. love coffee. <laughs> you're in a good, you're a good place, you know, near, near Vancouver, you know, the West Coast like that for coffee. Yeah. 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 What, yeah. What, what, yeah people yeah. go on, what, you know, yogis like you and Anna teaching veganism and all that, and you're still drinking coffee. Well, if you had a work schedule like us, where you had to get up at 2.33 a.m. for yoga practice before a training, then you would see how hard it is <laughs> to get up at 2.30, uh, 3, 3 a.m. without having a coffee. But we love our coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We love our That's coffee. A, and we, we do I, I share so that with you. We to be really clean in everything else. So actually chocolate, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and no, I just coffee. Coffee is the coffee. only pleasure. No sugar, no milk. Um, oh, we obviously. use, we use uh, like, 
macadamia milk, hazelnut. Okay, okay. Well, that sounds nice. Milk. I don't have to come yeah, to your house sometime. Vegan yeah, milk. Vegan <laughs> milk. Yeah, we have some, we have some <laughs> wonderful milk. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> right. One day I'll get back over. What about um, inspiration? Something that really, just something on the top of your head that really inspired Krishnamurti or something, you know, a person. Oh, Krishnamurti is totally yeah. an inspiration for both, for both Anna yeah. and Arnold. Yeah. Yeah. I love Krishnamurti. He is someone we, we do really admire. Hmm. And also, for, for both of us, it's really important to, to touch nature on a regular basis. You know, like yes. I, my heart reaches to the stars. I absolutely am in love with the star fields. Mm-hmm. Our love of animals is, is pretty, pretty huge as well. Yes. Well, you're in a good place for you. I mean, you're Orcas Island right now, which for people that don't know, it's um, it's the island chain that runs down from uh, Washington down to Canada on the west coast of US and then Canada. So, and it's a beautiful, I mean, I was there with my wife for a number of years in Vancouver area, and it's a beautiful area of nature for, in the world. Um, well, I, I suppose you know, I'm reluctant to wrap it up with you. It's been wonderful to, to speak to you both. And thank you very much for coming on the Keen Yoga Podcast. And yeah, uh, I'd say I really hope the listeners enjoy it as much as I have. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. Mm-hmm.